professionals who have had many children. That was pretty cool. Does anybody have any prayer requests that they want to offer up for today? I know we did announcements, but prayer requests are always good. Yes, my Uncle Joe Weaver is still hanging on. Um, but again, it's one of those like any time now things. And Friday, we got I got a text from my brother-in-law that uh, huh, my uncle's father had a massive heart attack and died. So wow. Um, so now that family is dealing with two deaths, and there will be two deaths in a matter of probably a week apart. And so. Um, I just, um, anyway, we just would appreciate the prayers and just, um, anyway, I'm um, praying to go down and stay a couple days and um, to spend some time with him before he's gone. Um, my, and with my grandparents, at the same time, I've been exceptionally close to my grandparents my whole life more than any of the other grandkids. Um, I just, and they're slipping so fast, it's amazing, just with um, dementia and that kind of thing. And my grandfather overdrew their bank account by $75,000. So my mom was having to go and get things figured out and get things taken care of. And just, she said, I'm just not used to my father not being the business savvy man that he be and so anyway I just um there's a lot a lot going on and so I think it's affecting my health some too so it's been a really rough week for that as well um so okay thanks anybody else hey Herb can you turn that light off back there and switch to the lower one thanks thanks yeah that's right in my eyes sister is almost 38 weeks pregnant and she's been having um, blood pressure issues so um, she has a, her doctor's appointment tomorrow so she'll probably be induced you're like hey I know this story yeah. but this is her this is her third so she knows okay. the story too but it's still I don't know yeah. she's still anxious it's still scary yeah and Jill you're back, Ooh, yes. and we're so happy to have you back. Yes, thank you. So, thank you, thank you. So, keep praying about, um, I don't think you're going to find a lot. Just much more pain on one side than the other, which just means our anemia is not equal. So, um, but we talked to the doctor, and everything seems fine. So, just keep praying. Because it's kind of just like, you can't do much thing until December when we do the next surgery. Is Tucker still barking at you?
weather I'm having a painful day because the closer he is to me, the more pain I have usually. <laughs> <laughs> How did work go? The work went okay. Work was really, really harder than I thought. Um, but my boss is amazing and sent subs every single day to help me. And my volunteers are wonderful. And it just was more painful than I thought it would be. Uh, and more exhausting, so I'm trying to work on the numbers, but not very good at that because there's so much that I want to do. And I can't see through there whole time. But anyway, so yeah, so you can pray about that. But I think this week will be better, and a little bit more in the groove now. So good to hear. All right, let's pray. God, we thank you that you have welcomed us all into this space today. Just how we are. Bringing whatever kind of worries and cares and concern and pain and excitement and joy and all of the feelings that we can feel, all the circumstances that we can be in, we've brought to this place. God, and we know that you're not afraid of it. You're not afraid of the pain and the sorrow and the confusion and the anxiety, all of it. You're right there with us in the middle of it all. God, thank you for being an ever-present God. Thank you for being God with us, Emmanuel. Thank you for understanding what it means to walk in our shoes. Lord, we lift up these dear ones that have been mentioned here today and Shirley's family that are struggling with so much death and change and brokenness. And God, for the way that that's affecting Shirley and her health. God, I pray that as she goes to visit her family this week, that you would give her a vitality and a joy and a hope that's born from you and not just being pulled down by her circumstances and the circumstances of her family members. God, help her to bring them light in a really dark and difficult time. God, we pray for for Jill and for her continued uh, healing and um, just leaning into this new season of her life. Lord, I pray that she would not have any anxiety about the pain that she's having in her body and Lord to be able to just receive what is and be in the moment for what she needs and God to receive all the love and care that you have given to her we pray that for her and pray for Kim's sister who is nearing the end of her pregnancy and is dealing with this high blood pressure I pray that you would give the doctors wisdom as to how to proceed that they would do so in the way that would be best for both Kim's sister and their child. Lord, I pray that she would have a calm heart and a calm spirit in this time of um, uncertainty and everything. And I do lift up all those that have been affected by the hurricanes this season. God, there has been so much destruction and devastation from floods and winds and everything that comes with hurricanes. We thank you for all the people that are giving of their time and their treasure to be able to help restore the lives of so many. 
God, we know that that is a reflection of you and your work in humanity, and we thank you for it. And so, God, I pray that those works would continue to be multiplied and all of the resources that are being placed in those areas would go to good use to help people really get what they need and that there would be no more loss of life. God, and it helps remind us to be thankful for all that we have been given, for the roofs over our head and the heat that we can choose to turn on at any time we need it when it's, there's a chill in the air. For the eyes that are able to see the beautiful colors of the trees as they are changing. The ears that can hear the laughter of little ones. Our legs that can help us move from place to place to enjoy all of the beauty of fall. God, we thank you for all of those gifts and so many more that we've been given. And Lord, I pray as we dig into these really hard scriptures today. That you would allow me to be a vessel of your love and light. And your hope for those that are voiceless. For your tender mercy. For your call to repentance for each of us. And God, that you grant us so much grace. Grace abundant and abounding over all things love. So God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be holy and acceptable to you, my God and my Savior. Amen. I know it's trouble when I start crying while I'm praying. Ah, so when I started digging into these passages, because we're going to be looking at two different chapters in 2 Samuel today, and then Psalm 51, um, I knew that there were kind of two directions I could go in. I could go the route of focusing on David and David's part to play in all of this, because he is the protagonist in the story. Or... I could take the road less traveled and speak from Bathsheba's position. And so I chose the second, but I think it's harder. So just know that today, <laughs> that this is, this is a difficult message and I think it's in, in light of everything that's been going on in our country in the last year or so, I think it's even more difficult and more necessary. And it's just something that we need to struggle with as a culture. So I'm gonna get into 2 Samuel chapter 11 here. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go to battle, David sent Joab with his officers and all Israel with him. They ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David rose from his couch and was walking about on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. David sent someone to inquire about the woman. It was reported, this is Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam, 
the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So David sent messengers to get her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she was purifying herself after her period. Then she returned to her house. The woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. When the wife of Uriah heard that her husband was dead, she made lamentation for him. When the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. And so in that section that we skipped over between I am pregnant and Uriah is dead, David basically sent uh, Uriah to the front lines of battle after Uriah refused to come home and have sex with his wife so that David could have deniability about being the one that impregnated Bathsheba. And so he decided that the next best thing would be to kill Uriah, and that's what happened. So I'm breaking up the text today into different sections and kind of talking about some different pieces of what we have here, because I feel like that's kind of the best way to do it so you all don't get lost in the story, because it's got a lot of layers. All right, so um, we're going to first talk about David. So I put on the screen, one bad decision leads to another, and another, and another. Um, and what's really interesting to me is, you know, David is this really important figure in Jewish life. He was the great king. And whenever you hear people talk about Jesus, they talk about him being in the line of David. But here, the only story that we get from him in this lectionary cycle is the story about him raping Bathsheba. That's pretty heavy. <laughs> I mean, as kids, we learn the story of David about David and Goliath. You know, he's, he's the little guy who's uh, been called to essentially take down this huge warrior of um, the Philistines. Gotcha. I was like, which tribe is he from? So uh, the warrior of the Philistines, who is, who is Israel's kind of um, big enemy at the time. And eventually, because of what Samuel the prophet prophesies, that Saul, who was the king, is then replaced by David as king through a lot of different situations. So David is this man who's had these really humble beginnings as a shepherd boy. You know, the shepherds are the ones that are kind of the scoundrels of society. They're set off to the side. They're kind of the dirty people. They're the ones that are really lowly. But as God has a tendency to do, especially as we've seen in the Old Testament, is that those that are lowly are raised up. But unfortunately, David makes some really poor decisions after being raised up. And I think this is a, like a real uh, morality tale for us all of what can happen to every single one of us when we get into a position of authority and when we misuse that authority to harm other people that are on the bottom of that authority ladder. So David has been in this scene, he's been king for a while, a few chapters. We don't know how long it's really been. I think. I, Chapter 7 is when he is anointed king. Um, he's been successful in conquering a lot of Israel's enemies. They're moving along. There's some conversation about building a temple that's not been finalized yet, and it won't be finalized until his son Solomon. Um, but he's not where he's supposed to be. And it's pretty clear from the beginning of this chapter. So the kings go to battle. That's the time the kings go to battle. So the kings are supposed to go with the troops in battle. But David remained in Jerusalem. 
So I don't know if this is David, his initial sin is being disobedient to what his call is as the king. Maybe that's his first bad decision. But it leads to, I've got a whole bunch of extra time on my hands as I'm not out there leading the battle. I'm just kicking it at home. I'm gonna go for a walk out on the roof. And there's this lady. She's pretty hot. And it just goes on and on from there. He commits the sin of coveting. He commits the sin of lusting. He commits the sin of what they, some scholars call adultery, some scholars call rape. I think in our understanding, in our cultural moment, it would be rape because it was a non-consensual sexual experience with one person having a tremendous amount of power over another person. Um, she gets pregnant. David tries to get Uriah to come violate the rules and be with his wife so that he could have deniability about the baby that is now going to happen. And then Uriah is too honorable of a soldier to be able to violate those rules. He wants to really follow through and be the good man that David isn't. So there's a big contrast there. And then David has Uriah killed. Then he marries Bathsheba. Can you imagine being married to the person that raped you? Yikes. This, this part isn't in the story. Their baby dies, which was prophesied by Nathan. And there's some scholars go back and forth about, is that a punishment or is that just a prophecy? You, we can have conversation about that. Um, this is a really jacked up story. But the center of the jacked upness <laughs> is David and the decisions that he makes and the ways that he tries to kind of cover up all of those poor decisions by another poor decision and another poor decision and another poor decision. It's almost like he, he just started off making a bad choice and at every point there's always a place where he could have turned back, but he did not choose to turn back. And Quinn has taught about this a lot, about how all the time that you go into these places where you kind of get deep and down in the pit of sin and a pit of bad decisions, there's always points before you're at the bottom of that pit where you can make a choice to do something different. But there's something in us, there's kind of this brokenness that's embedded in us that speaks to us and says, no, but you can't admit that. You can't admit the wrong. You can't like turn away from that because people will think you're a weak leader. This can't be fixed. You can't, be, you can't remain popular if you do that. You can't, you can't, you can't. So you just go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. Until there's a point in time where somebody named Nathan, which we'll talk about in a minute, comes to you and is like, all right, here's the mirror. And then you can really see for once the reality of the ugliness of what's happened and what you've done to yourself and to others. So now we talk about Bathsheba. So in contrast to David, Bathsheba was doing what she was supposed to do. She had just gone through her period of ritual uncleanness, and she is doing a purification rite. This is not just a regular bath. She's not just hanging out outside because she wants to be outside naked. They don't have plumbing, for one thing. Um, 
it would be easier for them to go outside while they're doing a ritual bath because usually that involves dumping like water over you, like taking a picture and dumping it. And we don't want to do that in the middle of our house, right? You don't want to do that in your living room. Much be, be easier to do that outside in a courtyard where there's it's the ground and the ground can just absorb all the water and all that kind of thing. So this, she is trying to get back into purity. She is going to this place where I am following the rules of God. I'm following the commandments. I'm trying to be a good Jewish woman and follow through with what I'm supposed to be doing. And in the midst of that, the king sees her from his roof. She's not up on a roof. She's down in her courtyard, which as much unless you're up on a roof that's really tall which the king's palace was probably pretty tall um you wouldn't be able to see inside so she thought she was protected but she wasn't so when david's men came to get her she didn't really have much of a choice her husband's away at war so she doesn't have that protection and it's the king i mean do you say no to the king there's only a few rare people in the scriptures that were able to say no to the king, and they had really the power of God behind them in order to be able to say no to the king. She was at the bottom of the social ladder. Because her husband wasn't there, she doesn't have any authority. And like I said before, the scriptures doesn't re record it as rape. There's no consent that was given, but there was no outcry that was recorded either. But we don't really hear Bathsheba's voice in this story, except for the one thing that she says, which is, I am pregnant. It's the only thing we hear from her. So her, her name is only mentioned once. Because once we hear her name, then she's called Uriah's wife, or the woman. She, isn't, she doesn't really have her own place. She doesn't have her own authority. She doesn't have individuality. And part of that is the culture that they lived in. But I think part of it is, is for us to be able to see how small she was. And I think when we get to the story that Nathan tells, I think that is emphasized. Her innocence, her being the one that's kind of used as a toy, as a thing not as a person. We don't hear her blaming anyone. We don't hear any anger. We don't know anything about how she feels. But if you dig deeper into the scripture and go beyond what our text includes today, Bathsheba doesn't go away. Once David takes her as his wife, she is the mother of Solomon who becomes the next king. And she has some things to say, and she has some authority, but it's, she can't, got there from really, really difficult circumstances. Just like the last time I taught, when I talked about Joseph, he got to where he was through a lot of really difficult circumstances. So she, like many, many women I know, is a tough cookie. She's able to walk through so much difficulty and so much struggle in order to be able to have a place where she does have a voice, to get to that moment where she has a voice. 
I think she's one of the um, commentators that I read said she is much like many women that are poor that are on the margins today, who are often repeatedly victimized by the same people. And because they don't have any other place to turn, they turn to the person that victimizes them in order to get help. And so it's just this ugly, ugly cycle that keeps going and going and going. And so what I wrote is those who are on the bottom of the pyramid of power in our world consistently bear the brunt of abuses of power in all forms. Those that are on the bottom are the ones that get the shaft over and over and over again by lots of different people. And a lot of times unknowing that we are participating in those cycles of violence. Thinking about the places where, where we buy our food and what kind of food we buy and what kind of clothing we buy and where is it sourced and what about the people who make it. And, so those are the folks that we can see that are on the bottom of those ladders of authority in our world. And it's really hard for us because we don't see them every day to be able to recognize the way that we commit violence against them. And so I think this text helps bring up for us that global mentality of understanding about how our world is so interconnected in the ways that we choose to buy things or what we choose to buy and how we choose to go about buying things truly affects everyone. It has a bigger kind of cycle than we even acknowledge. So now we move on to um, Nathan. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord, and the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, there are two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. He brought it up and it grew up with him and his children. It used to eat of his meager fare and drink from his cup and lie in his bosom and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man and he was loath to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared that for the guest who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. He said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. He shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, you are the man. Can you imagine being David in that moment? Like he's like incensed. He is ticked off. And then Nathan's like, it's you. You're the guy. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I rescued you from the land of Saul. I gave you to your master's house and your master's wives into your bosom and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have added as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Boom. So here's the, I think this is a Rembrandt painting of you are the man. I'm pointing at Shirley. She's not a man. Okay. So I can't even imagine what it's like to be Nathan. So he's a prophet. God has, has pointed him to um, 
succeeds Samuel as kind of the big prophet of the kingdom. And it's essentially the prophet's job to hold the kings in line, to kind of speak truth to power, to be the one to be able to be like, okay, that's really not great. And you've kind of violated God's laws here, but he's not going to pussyfoot around it. Nathan is really like, no, you're the guy. But I think that Nathan has either been given a tremendous amount of wisdom from God or he just is brilliant and knows David so well that David can't hear it straight. He's got to preach to him in a parable. It's like, here, let me tell you a story. Because I think he understands that because the lengths that David went to cover up all of this brokenness that he has committed, that he has justified himself all of his actions to the nth degree that he's not going to be able to hear anything. He's got a response for any kind of question. But when you tell him a story and he pinpoints in that story the exact kind of behavior, it's not the same thing, the exact kind of behavior that he has himself has committed, it's, it's a mirror that is able to bring reality to David in a way that any other kind of straightforward word couldn't bring. And I wonder, it's like, how many of us need somebody to speak parables to us? Yeah. But we don't really have like super smart, wise folks necessarily in our lives to be able to do that or even have the time to, to think about those things, right? But so what does it mean for us to, to have a parable, to hear that, to make it like a reality for us? So maybe David's story and his behavior is a parable for us today, for the ways that we participate in violence, even unwittingly, that we would never physically lay a hand on someone, but maybe some of our actions are committing violence toward others. And maybe our brokenness is turning into evil upon evil upon evil, just like David's decisions were evil upon evil upon evil. I think our country is pretty desperate for some Nathans. <laughs> I think we, we all, in our own way, are kind of crying out for that voice in the desert to be able to speak truth to power in a way that that power will listen. Because it just seems like every news cycle, we've got something new, and it's like, oh, wow, that's crazy. And then it just is deflected. And attention's moved over this direction and this direction and this direction. And you're just like, wait, 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 wait. That was this one thing. That was so horrible. That was difficult. That was cruel. But things just move on. And so maybe the fact that we have this really powerful king that David was, that was set on his throne by God, who committed these really heinous acts, that there was a Nathan, eventually. There was that person that was called to speak truth and was able to do so in a powerful way that changed the trajectory of David's life. Maybe that gives us hope that there could be that shift and that change. And in this kind of really difficult feeling 
in the world, like right before we get into this election. And it's just like every time you turn on the television, there's just one mudslinging ad after another, and it makes you just not ever want to watch TV. Anyone feel like that? <laughs> but there can be some truth. There can be some reality. There can be some hope. And I think the ways that we can live into that hope is by being people of hope. That we can be Nathans, not just going around telling everybody what they need to hear. Not just wagging fingers in people's faces. You are the man! But we can also be people that um, hold ourselves to another level of confession. And so, since we are totally running out of time, but I need to finish what we're doing today. Most of you have read Psalm 51, and I would encourage you to read it. But this is a passage of scripture that we believe David wrote after Nathan came to him and said, you are the man. And in this scripture, he begs for God's mercy and understands the depth of his sin. I think the one piece that is missing in that story, if you read it, is that he doesn't make confession about the harm that he's done to other people. He doesn't make confession about Uriah and the other men that were killed because they were put in front of the front lines. He doesn't make confession about his behavior toward Bathsheba. But he does make confession about the way he harmed his relationship with God. So he's part way there. But what I want us to participate in before we take communion today is a collective confession. And this is something, this is not like any particular confession that um, some tradition would participate in, but there are some traditions that participate in confession every single week as a corporate body. And I think it's a really powerful act. So we're gonna do that today and then, then we'll lead us into communion. I'm going to read the parts that are bold and actually no. We will all read parts that are bold together and then I'll read the other parts that say leader, okay? So let's begin. Gracious God, we are sinners and we confess our many sins to you today. For all the times that we did not put you first in our lives, but instead valued wealth, power, prestige, or comfort. Forgive us, Lord. For making you in our own image and for assuming that our understanding of you is the only correct one. Forgive us, Lord. For using your name to our advantage instead of to call upon you to help those in need. Forgive us, Lord. For forgetting our limits and failing to gather together in community. Forgive us, Lord. For thinking we know best and not listening to the wisdom of our parents and elders. Forgive us, Lord. For the times we have hurt others, for the times when we did not stop someone from hurting another, and for all the times we did not provide for the basic needs of others. Forgive us, Lord. For the times we broke our promises and sought our own desires, even when others would be harmed. Forgive us, Lord. For the times we took what was not ours, exploited our environment for our own profit, or sought our own comfort despite the suffering of others. Forgive us, Lord. For the times we gossiped, lied, and did not honor others. Forgive us, Lord. For the many times we wanted what was not ours and neglected to give thanks for all that we have. Forgive us, Lord. 
for all the ways that we have broken your covenant, destroyed relationships, harmed the earth, and engaged in injustice. Forgive us, Lord. God, we lift all of these layers of brokenness to you. God, we beg for your mercy and your forgiveness. God, we know the depth of our sin. And God, we know the depth of your grace. So as we come to this table today, God, help us to rejoice in that mercy that you have given us, that you have extended to us without condition. And God, we pray that the depth of the sin that we feel, that weight that you have lifted off our shoulders would help us to move forward in new ways, to be able to create new lives that are full of light and love and help and concern for others in the world. God, that we may become advocates for joy, for grace, and for redemption. God, let us be the ministers of reconciliation that you have called us to become in the world and that we are fueled by your love. God, we lift all of these things up to you. In your name we pray. Amen. The table is open. Come take and eat.